Welcome to Carrot Fergus Vineyard, a place of hope where lives are changing. We're a church in the heart of Carrot Fergus, passionate about seeing people's lives changed by the love of Jesus. The following message was given at one of our Sunday services. Good morning. So lovely to see you. Um, last week I shared a Bible verse for dieters. Outwardly you may be wasting away, but inwardly we're being renewed each day. And I unexpectedly shared another one at the prayer meeting before church. It was the words of John the Baptist. I must decrease. You must increase. So I feel like there's a wee niche I've got going on. Bible verses for dieters, devotional coming soon. So um, lovely to be with you this morning. So I'm going to tell you a wee story. So as I was going through the passenger list for the Aer Lingus plane arriving from Dublin, I noticed a name in premier class that was familiar. And I was sort of thinking, how do I know that name? Paul Hewson, how do I know that, that name? And this was 2001, and it, we only had dial-up internet in the office, so Googling wasn't an automatic option, and you had to ask people. Um, and I just said, does anyone recognize the name Paul Hewson? And I got general blank looks from my colleague, um, who was originally from Thailand, and then I could hear someone screaming in the corridor coming in, yes! My other Irish colleague runs in and says, that's, does anybody know who it was? Who? Bono from U2. You guys maybe don't even know who Bono or U2 are, but Google it. You're able to do that now. You don't need dial, or you have better Wi-Fi connection. Um, and of all of the people we had flying our planes, this was the one I was most excited about. I was a proper fan, and I still am a proper fan. So I decided to go, <laughs> the perks of being the supervisor on shift, I'm going to meet him. Um, so I went to the greet the flight and escort him and his wife through customs. And they say that you should never meet your heroes. Um, but I had, as I expected, a good but unusual conversation with this tiny but very pleasant man. Um, and U2's 1991 album, Acting Baby, was one of the earliest CDs in our house. Also, you probably don't know what CDs are, but <laughs> Google it. Um, and this was an album written and recorded just after the Berlin Wall had come down um, in a reunifying Germany. And it was also um, written during a time of division and disagreement in the band. And the song One on the album is about the troubled relationships in, in the band. And Bono sings, we're one, but we're not the same. We get to carry each other. Carry each other one. <laughs> Sorry, it had to be done. It had to be done. It had to be done. <laughs> So another Paul, our Paul, Paul Daniels, two weeks ago read from Acts 2, verses 42 to 47. And here Luke is telling the foundation story of the church, something that really jumped out to me um, when I read this account and also the account in Acts 4 was their oneness. Acts 2, verse 44 says, all the believers were together and had everything in common. Acts 4, verse 33, or 32, all the believers were one in heart and mind. They were together. They had everything in common. They were one. 
And today we're going to look at another church that had forgotten their identity, forgotten that God had made them one. And this morning we're going to jump around a wee bit in 1 Corinthians, a letter written by um, another Paul, three Pauls this morning, um, the Apostle one. And through the example of the church in Corinth, I want us to consider this morning that the family of God is one, but it's not the same and because of being one, we get to carry each other. So in 1 Corinthians 1, we read that Paul is writing um, to God's church in Corinth, a port city widely known for its prostitution and other vices. It was a multi-ethnic and diverse city, which was reflected in the church. The church was likely established around 50 AD, And between 53 and 56 AD, Paul is writing this letter because we see in verse 11 that the the word has reached Paul that there were problems in the church, quarreling, boasting, chaos and worship and inequality. Division was becoming a characteristic of the church. And Paul's response to this, we can read in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 10. Or sorry, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 10. I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ, to live in harmony with each other. Let there be no divisions in the church, rather be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. Unity being one isn't just a helpful suggestion from Paul, a take it or leave it kind of thing. It's something so fundamental that he is pleading with the Corinthian church, I appeal to you. And in the message translation, um, Eugene Peterson writes of this verse, I have a serious concern to bring up with you. My friends, using the authority of Jesus, our master, I'll put it as urgently as I can. You must get along with each other. You must learn to be considerate of one another, cultivating a life in common. The divisions in the Corinthian church were a serious concern. Their unity or oneness was a must. Paul is communicating that it is essential for the family of God to be one. So I have been part of the Crosby family for just over five years now. And a character trait that runs through the family is that they love a bargain. Not just love a bargain, but they love the sport of getting a bargain. Their eyes light up, their cheeks flush, um, their adrenaline is pumping at the prospect of haggling. Um, They are most alive when there is a prospect of bartering someone down. Dave, how much did you pay for a brand new kitchen years ago? So 11,000 and he got it for three. There's your man to take with you. My mother-in-law needs two new knees, but she was practically skipping when she managed to get money back on a car that had part of the car in the boot and probably needed the entire bodywork replaced. And I have started to adopt this um, family trait. 
So um, I love popcorn, like so much so that Dave has to get his own bucket when we go to the cinema because I eat all our shared popcorn. Um, so Dave bought me a popcorn advent calendar this year and the first weeks were really like, they weren't good, they were really soft and didn't taste so great. So I channeled my new Crosby identity and wrote to the company and I got this box sent to me in the post if Tom can get it up. Like, it's so much better than the popcorn advent calendar. Um, and I couldn't wait to tell the Crosbys, but they were really disappointed. They were like, did you not get a year's supply of popcorn? <laughs> so I'm not a fully-fledged Crosby yet. So what is a trait of God's family? What is, the, um, the Jesus, uh, what is Jesus's prayer for his people in the Garden of Gethsemane that they may be one? John 17, verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. God wants his family, the church, to be one because he, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit are one. It's the family trait or characteristic. And when we are one, we are showing the world God. We are representing him. We are glorifying him. Romans 15, verse 5 to 6. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may, with one voice, glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. When we, the family of God, are one, we display God's glory. Psalm 19.1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. So when the church, the family of God, is living in harmony, is being one, it is the same as a breathtakingly beautiful sunrise over the water. The church, in its oneness, glorifies God. God's design and desire is the family to look um, is for the family to look like him and represent him to the world by being one. And this was a characteristic of the foundation church as we saw in Acts 2 and 4. They were representing God in their oneness. However, it appears the Corinthian church at this time had forgotten this and instead each person was doing their own thing. And in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 2, Paul writes, um, I am writing to, the, to God's church in Corinth, to you who have been called by God to be his own holy people. In the midst of their divisions, quarreling, lack of consideration for others, and disorderly worship gatherings, Paul is reminding the Corinthian church that they are God's own holy people. And as Andy highlighted um, from Colossians last week, as followers of Jesus, we are loved, chosen, and holy. But as Paul is reminding the church here, they are also a people, a family. They are one. God has designed us, saved us, adopted us to be part of his family. We're not saved to be individuals on our own wee planets, doing our own wee thing, orbiting God because one is all there is with God. Other options are not his heart or design. Ephesians 4, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, 
who is over all and through all and in all. It matters to him that we are one like he is. And he wants us to cultivate a life in common with each other because that best represents him to the world. And I, when I was praying and considering this talk, I had a random picture of a three-legged race. I've got a picture of a three, that's me, you, coming third in Ashgrove Primary School's three-legged race. Um, and it, was a, it, was, it wasn't just like two people, it was a massive one with us all connected. And three-legged races, as you know, take partnership, trial and error, patience, and a lot of hugging your partner. And in order for us to cultivate a common life here in Carrickfergus Vineyard, we're going to have to think like a three-legged race. It'll take partnership. We have to work together. And we can't do it all my way. We have to work out how to do this um, together. It'll take trial and error. We won't get it right straight away. It'll take trying things differently until we hit our stride. And patience, it's going to require a lot of patience and also a lot of hugging. Now, everyone who's like, I don't like being hugged, um, it's just a picture. Um, we can't run a three-legged race at arm's length you're going to trip over. We need to embrace and be embraced by family. We need to get closer. And I've also put... It needs to be fun. Three regularly, like no, nobody's doing this at the Olympics. It's too serious. It's not. It's not a serious sport enough for the Olympics. But I would like to see that. I think that might be good fun. But it's fun, and I think that's the thing as well. If I, as we gather in church, if we're losing the fun aspect, why would we want to do it? But God, um, so God is one, and He wants His family to be like Him. As the family of God, um, we are to be one. And when I was considering and writing this um, teaching, um, or any teaching I do, I like Wi-Fi coffee in a window. Um, so I will travel the Carrick, Newton Abbey, and even greater Belfast area in the search or of somewhere that ticks these boxes. And as I was looking out the window of my new favorite spot, I'm not going to tell you where that is, so you can't find me. Um, I saw my friend from school, um, her dad, and not only is David such a lovely person, um, it's because he and his wife chose to tell his daughter about Jesus. They, they invested in her discipleship by taking her to church, encouraging her to get involved in issue and so on, that she chose to love me like Jesus and tell me about him. Through David's actions, he has contributed to me being here today. And when I saw him out the window, I was like, oh, I hope he comes in. I just really would love to have a wee chat with him. Um, and David attends a Brethren church, so we will likely have some theological differences on the current activities of the Holy Spirit and women speaking in churches, ironically. We're not exactly the same, but I recognize him as family. My heart was just like, oh, I really want to have a chat with him. Paul was not asking the Corinthian church to become clones of each other. He recognized that God did not make us all the same. And his intention was not uniformity, but unity. And in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 to 24, um, he is recognizing that the church can be one, but not the same. 
the human body has many parts, but um, the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, and some are free. But we have all been baptized into, the one, into one body by one spirit, and we all share that same spirit. Yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. Paul was recognizing the differences that made up the one in the church of Corinth. There were Jews, Gentiles, slaves, free men, people from different backgrounds and circumstances and experiences in, this, in that church. And so it is with our church. We're not all the same. Like what types of things will be differences amongst us? So I'll get us started. So our life circumstances, some will be married, some will be single, some will be widowed. What other things do we have differences in? Football teams. Our likes, our dislikes are going to be different. <laughs> Whether we like football or not. <laughs> our backgrounds, our personalities, our experiences, our values, our, the stories of how we met Jesus, our theologies, our opinions. We are not the same. But so often, our experience, particularly in church, can be one of not feeling like we fit. We're too something or not enough something. We feel like to be part of the family of God, we need to become something else to fit. And in the picture I had of the three-legged race, in it, I was standing next to Leanne Gordon, randomly. And if you don't know Leanne, Leanne is like a foot shorter than me. And anyone who knows the laws of um, three-legged races, you always need to be placed as someone of a similar height of you as, um, as you. And I just really feel that through that picture, um, God was communicating that we are to embrace difference that his ways are not our ways. Um, and that through that difference, we can actually run the race. But also I reckon Leanne would be a weapon in a school sports day, so one to, um, to get to know. And I'm not saying that God will maintain our differences at the expense of transforming us to be like Jesus and the people he created us to be. We are new creations. But what I am saying is that to be the family of God does not mean that we strive to become clones and to think exactly the same on everything. That's a cult, and they always end badly. And I don't want to be involved in that. God has placed each part in the body just as he wanted it to be. If all the parts were the same, how could there be a body? 1 Corinthians 12, 18 to 19. God wants us to recognize and cherish our differences as that is how he has made us. So how do we live together as the family of God, one but not the same? And I believe that will require or start with humility. And in Northern Ireland, we can think humility of the idea, I'm rubbish, I'm a nobody, I don't deserve to be treated well. What I say doesn't matter. But as C.S. Lewis famously pointed out, humility is not, thinking, uh, um, is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. 
And one of the Bible passage I have long desired to see built more and more into my life is Philippians 2, verses 1 to 11. And verses 3 to 8 say, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Our mindset should be like Jesus. Jesus knew he was, he was equal, is equal to God. Everyone will bow before him, but he didn't use it for his own advantage. He used it for our advantage, dying on the cross for us so that we could be free from the burden of our sin, so we could be one from God or one with God. As followers of Jesus, we are God's people who are holy, loved, and chosen. We are immensely privileged. We have direct access to God through Jesus, the God who is the creator of universes, that has everything in heaven and earth at his disposable, who is a good father and delights to give good gifts to those who ask him. So how could, we, how could you use your identity in Christ not for your own advantage, but for the advantage of others. And I had written things down here, following on from that, and I have since readed them all out, as you can see. And just during the worship, I just wanted to leave space. I just thought, I'm going to leave space for you to ask that question to God. How can I use my identity in Christ for the advantage of others? As I was also praying, I just sort of sensed that for those that are retired here in the room, I felt like God was saying that um, you guys are sitting on a pot of gold, gold, and the enemy or our culture would say, oh, you don't work nine to five and now you're useless, and you just get thrown to the side. And that can really knock some people's confidence, that change in, um, that change in circumstance that has a real impact on your identity. But actually, I feel that God was saying, particularly for you that are retired, that you are sitting on a pot of gold. You have um, not only access to the creator of the universe, but you have a pot of gold that is wisdom and experience and also perspective. You know what things are cyclical. You've seen it coming. You can see things coming down the road as well. So not to let the enemy knock your confidence, 
but to actually continue to ask that question of um of god how can i use this pot of gold that you've given me for the advantage of others as we choose to humble ourselves, not serving our interests, but looking to each other's interests, I believe that we will cultivate that life in common in the midst of our differences, a life that displays God's oneness. We're one, but we're not the same. We get to carry each other. So next week, we are going to take communion together and it's been decided that those of us who earn the most money and who are respectable are going to take communion in here. You're going to get croissants and a bottle of red from the sipster. And the rest of you are outside in the foyer with pan loaf and my wadi. Is that okay? Are you laughing? Of course it isn't okay. It's ridiculous. And it seems contradictory to what Jesus' sacrifice was. For, you know, in 1 um, Corinthians 10, verse 17, Paul writes, When we break the bread, aren't we sharing the body of Christ? Just as there is one loaf, so we who are, one, are many are one body, we all share the one loaf. Communion is a sign of the oneness, of our oneness in Christ. And we read in 1 Corinthians 11 that what I just described to you was the likely approach that the Corinthian church were taking. Um, to remembering the death and resurrection of Jesus. It's likely that the richer members of the church were maintaining their cultural um, practice of inviting and being invited into the host's small private dining room where they would have enjoyed the best food. And whilst the lower status, poorer members would have been in the atrium and would have been standing um, to eat. But in this case, it looks like they weren't even eating um, and they were just watching others eat and get drunk and then they were calling it the Lord's Supper and Paul had some harsh feedback for them 1st Corinthians 11 verse 17 I cannot praise you for it sounds as if you are uh, as if more harm than good is done when you meet together by thinking only of their own advantage by not considering others by not sharing people in the church in Corinth were dividing the family of God that was supposed to be one they were harming it and as I read this and I read Acts and Acts 2 and 4 I was struck how the outworking of being one was displayed in how they shared with each other um, verse 32 of Acts 4, all the believers were in one, were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. Out of their oneness, out of their recognition of each other as family, they opened up their entire lives, not just segments of it. They shared everything they had. They shared the money from the sale of possessions and property, giving it to those that were in need. In Acts 2, we see them sharing meals together, something the church in Corinth wasn't doing, using their homes to worship together, going together to the temple to worship every day. They didn't just share their possessions, but they shared their lives. And I love what Steph shared last week about Life Group um, that she has been attending. It was a place to share the struggles and joys of life, to pray for each other, to learn about Jesus together. They shared what was going on in their day-to-day -day lives. 
but I also know that they shared their possessions, um, particularly with a family connected to one of the group, making sure that that family had the items they needed for children they were unexpectedly welcome in, welcoming into their household. And before Christmas, I heard of a couple from our church who were ill, and I contacted them to see what, if they needed anything. And they told me that their life group had got them sorted. And I just loved that. I wasn't needed because you guys had shared with them. And we had a great night, um, Dave and I, with our life group, just sharing what, what we are hoping for, um, like what people were struggling with, um, and praying for each other, and sharing words and pictures for each other, and sharing experiences and wisdom. And what I loved was one moment Dave was leading the discussion, asking people, you know, questions about, you know, what are you looking forward to this year? What are you struggling with? And then um, Alistair just turned around to Dave and said, what about you, Dave? And it was a beautiful moment of sharing our sharing. And I could go on and on with examples of stuff that I hear that's going on in our church. This is oneness in action, sharing our stuff with those who need it, sharing our homes, offering hospitality to help each other grow in faith, whether that's through hosting a life group or inviting someone around for cuppa, sharing our worship on Sundays and at life groups, sharing what's going on in our lives, being open um, about the joys and struggles of life with each other. Um, we got some difficult family news last um, Friday and I was, it was just really sitting heavy with me most of the weekend. And you know when somebody asks you, how are you? And you could go, oh, I'm fine. Um, but I just decided to go, um, when this person asked me, I just decided to go, well, here's what's going on with my family. And um, it was amazing because he just said, oh, we had a situation like that in our family and this is kind of how we handled it and this is what we learned. And then later on that week, I was talking to his wife and then she then shared, oh, and this is some of, you know, what I learned from that. And I just found that really amazing and really helpful um, because I could easily have just gone, oh, I'm fine. But I would have missed out on that wisdom and learning from a similar experience that they had had in their family. As Bono sings, we get to carry each other. We get to help each other, look out for each other, love each other by sharing our entire lives. And I believe we are displaying the oneness of God when we do that. And I was really struck by the, that word share because it isn't the same as give. You couldn't replace it directly in a sentence because it implies a receiving as well. It, it implies equality, a circular movement. Sometimes you will be given, sometimes you will be receiving. And it's my opinion that being one moves us to share. It doesn't move us to always give or to always receive. In fact, I believe it's healthy, unhealthy for us if we just give or just receive. And we all know that if we have a problem with a part of our physical bodies, a broken limb, a sore hip, a sore back, the rest of our body compensates, it kicks in to help. However, if this goes on for a long time, what happens? 
the body as a whole gets tired and the compensating parts start to get sore and wear down as well. And as I prepared this, I sensed that particularly for those who tend to take on the giving role, God wants you to know that it's okay to share. That you can be the one who receives and it's not selfishness or pride for you to receive support at times. Actually allowing others to serve you is okay. It will help the whole, um, or it will actually help the whole body, our family here in Carrickfergus to live out being one. And I love what researcher Brenny Brown says in her book, The Gifts of Imperfection. One of the greatest barriers to connection is the cultural importance we place on going it alone. Somehow we've come to equate success with not needing anyone. Many of us are willing to extend a helping hand, but are very reluctant um, to reach out for help when we need it ourselves. It's as if we're divided the world into those who offer help and those who need help. The truth is that we are both. Adopting the position of giving only instead of sharing is a barrier to connection. I would say it's a barrier to being one. Oneness is expressed in sharing. It is recognizing that sometimes we will give and sometimes we will receive. And what is God prompting you to share? And with whom? Is it money or possessions? Is it inviting someone for a cuppa? Is it sharing your worship with others here on a Sunday? Is it sharing um, that you have a need? And I would really encourage you to get involved in life groups. Um, the sign-ups are live at the moment. Um, this is where we can share in all our different ways. This is where um, the, yeah, we get to love and love others in return. We're one, but we're not the same. We get to carry each other. And if the band want to come on up, give Alan back his stand. <laughs> Thank you. I'm sharing with you. <laughs> We're sharing. You and I are sharing. Um, Paul says to the church in Corinth, um, he will keep you strong to the end so that you'll be free from all blame. On the day when our Lord Jesus Christ returns, God will do this, for he is faithful to do what he says, and he has invited you into partnership with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Whilst we have to participate and play our part in helping the family of God to be one, 1 Corinthians 1.30 says that it is God who has united us with Jesus. He is the one who invites us into partnership or fellowship or oneness with the Son. And one theologian highlights that the word one in um, Acts 4.32 is not based on common, or one mind, sorry, is not based on common personal feelings, but on a cause greater than the individual. Our oneness is found in the greatness of Jesus. As we embrace Jesus, as we draw closer to him, as we let him transform us, I believe we will also draw closer to each other. Despite our differences, we will recognize each other as family, wanting to share our entire lives with each other.
And my prayer is the same as Jesus's and Bono's, that we will be one, but not the same, and that we will carry each other. Thanks for listening to the Carrot Fergus Vineyard podcast. If you'd like to find out more about our church, please visit our website, carrotfergusvineyard.org.